0: there, folks. Welcome to Enough Y'all, the Real Talk podcast for intersectional allies and social justice academics. I'm your host, Dr. Kim Case, social psychologist and Appalachian academic with the passion for truth-telling, centering the soul's goals, and talking with my hands. In this season of the podcast, I explore the intricate and tangled web that is the psychology of whiteness, systemic racism, and white anti-racism with a host of brilliant activists, teachers, scholars, and friends. If you enjoy the show, check out my course on white anti-racism, as well as free resources at drkimcase.com. Today I'm speaking with social and cultural psychologist, Dr. Stephanie Freiberg, University Diversity and Social Transformation Professor of Psychology at the University of Michigan. Dr. Freiberg is a member of the Tulalip Tribe in Washington. Her primary research interests focus on how social representations of race, culture, and social class influence the development of self psychological well being, physical health, and educational attainment. Connecting science with policy, she's also at the forefront of challenging racist representations of indigenous people, testifying before the US Senate Committee on Indian Affairs, and working to dismantle the prevalent practice of using stereotypes of Native Americans as sports mascots. Welcome, Stephanie. I appreciate you giving your time to be here. Happy to be here. So I thought we could start with you maybe talking to us a little bit about what you have found in your research on media representations and the impact on Native and Indigenous people.
1: Yes. So, I mean, media rep, first of all, media is a big area but when we really think about representations of native people we're talking about a very limited and narrow number of representations Uh, more and more our research has taken us to looking at what settler colonialism is and the ways in which settler colonial societies deal with their indigenous populations And in our case, I think there was an initial effort to eliminate, um, to literally eradicate our people, and then that didn't work. And what we know is that then it's about basically pretending as though we don't exist. So you put us on a reservation, um, you make people believe that we're not here anymore, and you only represent us in, on television as 18th and 19th century characters. And so we live in a world today where the representations of Native people are very archaic, where Native people are wearing um, loincloths and feathers and talking to trees. And we um, are seen as very primitive, rather than coming from communities that are dynamic and complex and really in many ways thriving in a world that has worked against them for hundreds of years. So for the most part, our research has demonstrated that the representations are not just negative stereotypes. There are also sets of stereotypes about native people that um, mainstream society has glommed onto as being positive representations of natives, um, although none of the science supports that perspective. So whether we're talking about Disney's Pocahontas or we're talking about the use of natives as mascots, there's a way in which those types of representations are beneficial to whites, but they're harmful to natives. And so in our own work we've shown that these types of um, romanticized imageries, uh, imagery lowers self-esteem, collective efficacy, and achievement-related goals for Native youth. And we've also um, you know, recently shown that the impact of these stereotypes very much depend on what the Native experience is, and that the, one, the people who are most impacted are those most identified. So, if you take, for example, um, the Washington football team, we don't say their name um, they their mascot um, native people who are highly identified with being native and who have um, are engage in a lot of behaviors, that there's a Native enculturation scale. The the more Native behaviors they engage in, the more they are offended by the team name. But that also carries over to other mascots and team logos. And so really, um, you know, there's been a long debate in the media about whether or not Native people are offended. And what our research suggests is that those public opinion polls probably we're tapping into people who identify, but who aren't highly identified with Natives. Mm -hmm. And so is that a good start, Kim?
0: Yeah, I wondered if you could say a little bit more about this idea of positive stereotypes, because in social psychology, of course, we label positive stereotypes with that word positive, but we don't mean that it's good for people or beneficial for people or a compliment. So just for people out there that maybe aren't social psychologists a little bit more. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so there's lots of examples of this. Um, The model minority stereotype, uh, but certainly uh, Native mascots. So generally, people believe that Native mascots honor Native people, or at least the people who want to hold on to these representations. They see themselves as honoring us, but not recognizing that when you paint your face red and put on feathers and do some Hollywood chant, like the tomahawk chant, that it that's not honoring. It's playing with someone's identity. And so, yeah, positive stereotypes really are still stereotypes. They're still limiting. Um, and for the most part, very demeaning. Um, so, you know, it's interesting right now with everything going on in society that these, you know, there've been some real call outs of for example the washington football team that wanted to take a stand in favor of black lives matter which is very important but you can't simultaneously support black lives matter and then dehumanize native people and so fortunately some very high profile individuals have come out and called them out um but you know for a long time they've been able to stand behind um some really poorly constructed polls that have helped support their standpoint.
0: I also wanted to ask you to unpack a little bit for people listening that you don't use the word of the, the name of the mascot, I guess, and why that is. And um, if you want to draw any parallels. To other words?
1: Yeah. I mean, so we, you know, part of it is we have to stop using it because one, it's a really terrible racial slur. Um, I think the R word um, is very much akin to um, the N word for African Americans. And part of what we want to do is to start putting that word in its place. And if you, so what people don't know is there's, there's different stories about um, where red, like red face, and these kinds of other um, the terminology that the Washington use comes from. But the historical um, context for it is that back in the early 1800s, there were uh, bounties placed on the heads of Native people, and so what they would do is they would scalp the natives. And if you brought in the native of an old person, you maybe got a dime. If it was a young warrior, you might've gotten a quarter. If it was a child or a woman, maybe a nickel. And um, and But when they would scalp them in that way, they wouldn't necessarily die right away. And so they would walk around with blood going down their face. And so that's where the term came from. And so the idea that our nation's capitals, that they have a sports team that represents this racial slur, is extremely problematic. Um, I mean, I'm not sure that we have the best relationship with Washington, D.C. right now, you know, for various reasons. But Native people don't have much reason to trust the U.S. government Thinking more about the media representations, I wondered
0: if you had anything you wanted to share about what you see and how the images impact um, the white people that see the images, or, and also the lack of images, like you mentioned.
1: Yeah, so there's two. Okay, so that, yes. So first of all, we have actually done studies where we've primed, exposed white people to the images that are harmful to Native people, and what we find is that they get a psychological boost increase in self-esteem. They like each other. They like other white people more when they um, are wearing these like Native mascot representations or Pocahontas representations. Um, And a big part of what it is, is once again, the world is constructed in a way that makes you feel better, right? So it really taps into a positive um, American identity, but it's not based on truth. Um, So we have other work that um, just recently came out, a study on Columbus Day versus Indigenous Peoples Day. And what's really interesting is that people's support for those holidays depends on how identified they are with being American. So highly identified Americans want nothing to do with switching from Columbus Day to Indigenous Peoples Day and a lot of it is because American identity is something you get to feel good about. And so we found some research that showed that among public school parents, um, approximately 90 percent of them said that teachers absolutely should teach their children about the Holocaust. But only 11 or 12 percent of them said they should teach their, that the public school should teach their children about the atrocities Committed by Columbus to the indigenous people. And it really speaks to this same phenomenon. So the Holocaust happened in a foreign country. So, yes, we want our children to know. But what Christopher Columbus did to the indigenous people, that is part of the American history. And we don't want our children to know about that because we don't want them to have to feel bad. But, you know, there's been a lot with a lot of the um, Confederate statues coming down the Columbus statues and what you get are people saying, Oh, but it's history. We have to hold on to history. Um, If we don't hold on to it, then um, you know, we will forget. But the problem is that the history, those symbols represent are not the real history. And so at the end of the day, what's happening is that we're talking about taking down a statue that has been romanticized and in which the person being romanticized, right, being held up and acclaimed, is not worthy of our honor. And so I think a big part of, you know, as we disentangle what it means for white people and also help white people, because when we think about this in a sense, you know, it's easy to want to say, oh, you know, shame on white people. It just makes them feel better about themselves. But they didn't like that. That's part of whiteness. It's not that's a systemic part of racism. That is deeper than any one individual. It doesn't mean that individuals don't have a responsibility to overcome the privilege that they've been given and the the narrowness that that perspective gives you. The the in in essence, like it it leads you to not see the world for the way it is and to exist in a world that um, has constructed you in a particular way. So. You know, my nephew um, is married to a white woman. He's Native. And her family is from Ohio, Southern Ohio. And, you know, I've gotten to know them, but they're very Republican. The problem for me is not that they're Republican. It's that they can't see the ways in which, for example, right now what's happening is so much more than an African-American man who was killed in a really horrible and unjust way. Like it really is that communities of color are tired of excuses. I mean, we want things to change because, you know, I have a brown son. I want my son to grow up to be a full grown adult. And there, you know, one wrong interaction can take that away. And that should never be the case. And so these issues around these representations and statues and all of that is so much more, but it's all comes back to whiteness everything about why we haven't changed everything about why we want to hold on to columbus day or thanksgiving i mean thanksgiving is a horrible holiday and and we hold on to these representations rather than, say, Indigenous Peoples Day, where maybe we celebrate the resilience of Indigenous people and our survival after 500 years of attempted colonization and ratification. If you want to celebrate something, celebrate the fact that we're still here. Don't celebrate some pretend meal that didn't happen, um, in which case, you know, essentially, though the pilgrims raped and pillaged our people within days brought diseases like there are so many really serious issues um i mean columbus cut off the hands of indigenous people because they didn't bring him enough gold it's you know or sometimes simply to see if his blade was sharp enough like and those are actual accounts by white people who were present in the time that he was doing it and wrote about it. And yet somehow 1492 Columbus sailed the ocean blue is the romanticized view of him. Yeah. I mean, that's just terribly problematic um, that really we continue like native people continue to have to suffer because it makes whites feel good. And at some point the only way this will change and people can see us for who we are, it means seeing yourself for who you are. There it is right there. So I think I don't want to gloss over
0: what I just want to repeat several times that you've said, which is that we have research data that white people feel better about themselves and like each other better and have more group bonding. It sounds like positive feelings when they are engaging with these very problematic stereotypes of native people. I think white people need to sink in with that, like really sink in with that information.
1: Yes. Yeah. You know, but if you think about it, most of American history is designed to make whites feel better. Um, There are a number of indigenous scholars, Shanina Lomawaima, Teresa McCarty, who do, who write, about education in particular and the ways in which American public education is about creating identity safe zones for white kids. Mm-hmm. And that we create these zones so because we don't want white children to have to grow up feeling bad about their whiteness. But yet we have no problem making all the other children grow up feeling bad about right. their group. And so when I think about thanksgiving and columbus day um i mean one of my favorite stories is really when my daughter started kindergarten and her teacher they the they sent out an email asking us to donate um, materials for columbus day and i read this and sat down i tried to be very um honey rather than vinegar um but I'm not sure I succeeded, Um, but you know, I started by saying, you know, maybe the goal here is to say that we once thought that Columbus discovered America, but now we know this, or maybe the goal is to um, teach kids about romantic ideas. Um, I said, but to actually do this romanticized piece. What it does effectively is it teaches my child that when we drive down the road of the reservation and she sees people who are homeless or who are struggling with drug addiction, it teaches her that there's just something wrong with her people. But when you teach my child the truth, when you teach her that, our people have endured hundreds of years of colonization, stereotyping, discrimination, mistreatment on all kinds of level, then when she drives down the road and she sees those people who are struggling, she can know because she can look around her own world and see other people who are surviving and contributing that our people have made it and we have survived and we are here but we still have a ways to go, which is a very different interpretation than simply there's something wrong with us. And what these historical narratives do is they shape that story and what she gets to know. So if we think it's just about making white children feel good, then we're ignoring all the ways in which it takes away from the struggle that we are still enduring today. Mm -hmm. And it's a false sense of feeling good. It's not it's an intricate web of
0: lies really that has always just no matter how much you go into it and dive into it, there's more, there are more levels. There's more web to uncover about the psychological gymnastics that happen, the collective, I call it collective psychopathology. Yeah. And and people walk around having no clue that they're mentally yes. ill. Yeah. Basically. Well, I feel like we've covered several of the things I had on my list. I don't know if you have anything to add, but I also had a question about what
1: white people need to know about whiteness. I mean, so I think it's a great question. And I think the main thing that I would like people to know, I think there are many things to know, um, and maybe I'll bring this to native people in particular, is that when you don't know who you are and you can't see your own place in society, you are holding us down. And a big part of understanding privilege is recognizing that being in a position where I'm represented positively, and there are many types of representations of my group, and then not noticing when, oh, Native people are not mentioned at all. Um, it, I mean, you're basically engaged in a system of somewhat of a cover-up, but really it's a system that's allowing you to feel good at my expense, at Native people's expense. And so to me, the main thing is I want people to recognize their location in society. And when you, to have, because of that, to come to social issues with an open mind, to judge lightly, um, and when you do see yourself judging someone else, And even I, I mean, I have a PhD, I have a nice house. Um, You know, I grew up on the reservation, but I no longer sit in the same position as a lot of people in my community. And so there are times when my cousin who's on the tribal council will say, why don't you speak up when people are saying these things? And I tell her because I don't have a right to speak up because I'm not sitting in the same position that they are. I, you know, with COVID have not had to worry about losing my job. I've had a paycheck coming in. Um, you know, we live in a great place. My kids can play outside. We have lots of room to, to move around. And even in our small world, it's important for me as a highly educated native person who has privilege to understand the ways in which my privilege means something. And if I don't, then I oppress my own people and I won't do that. And so it's all on, I mean, there's sort of these different types of privilege. Um, You know, I'm now raising two children who have very different childhoods than I have, and my children have privilege, but it's really important to me that they grow up as Native children who have privilege and understand that that comes with responsibility. And I feel like that's what I want white people to understand. Like your location comes with a sense of responsibility. If you don't pay attention to that role and that responsibility in society, then you're actually part of the problem. And so, I don't expect any white person to know everything. I don't want you to speak for me. I don't want you to fix the world for me, but I do want you to get out of the way. I want you to stop being part of the problem. Let us fix our problems, but don't continue to be part of the problem. Mm -hmm. And I think ignorance is a big part of that. And I don't, I try to teach my children that, you know, people have different views in the world and we can respect that but that we don't have to think that they're right, but we still have to give them respect. And maybe if you can learn to give us the same respect, that maybe you don't understand our perspective, or maybe you don't understand you know, why we do things the way we do, but if you were inside, you would understand. So we've been running this national study, and one of the most interesting things has been the number of Native people who've marked down that they're socialist or democratic socialists, And it's interesting because when I think about it, it's because tribal communities are very socialist. We get money and we make health care for everyone. We get money and we make dental care for everyone. You make money and, oh, I care for everyone. And so I think that we innately, you know, we have a sense of collective taking care of our elders. You know, if a family can't take care of them, then the community is going to take care of them. And so we have lots of problems, but it 's not because there 's something wrong with our culture it 's because we 're trying to overcome so many hardships put upon us by society and we 're making it i mean for in man, there are many ways, arguably statistically i mean i 'm an empirical scientist, I can prove it to you that we have survived in so many ways and are doing amazing things for the environment, economic development. Um, language revitalization, school development, that it'd be nice if people kind of took a step back and could recognize how in literally 30, 40 years from the time we've gained citizenship, right? I mean, we became full citizens of the United States in 1974. That's in my lifetime. Oh, yeah. And so, you know, we, before that, we were seen as wards, children of the government, children of the state, and we didn't have the right to make decisions in our own community about our own development. Everything had to be approved by someone else. And most of the time they thought we weren't capable. And, you know, what? So that's 45 years ago, 46 years ago, we were given the right to do it ourselves. And look at where we are. Yeah, I mean, I I just honestly, like, I don't feel like we need white saviors. I don't feel like we need um, your permission or even your apology. Just know who you are and know your position and have an open mind and give us a chance. Um, but more than anything, just stop doing the things that make us like, you know, I think one of my pet peeves as a professor is watching Native college students get involved with fighting their university mascot or, I mean, university administrators should be doing that. And shame on them for not stopping, you know, racism on campus because these kids are also paying money to come and get an education. And the education they have is actually defending their identity and their right to exist. This is not what getting a college education should be about. And when you're white, it it isn't what it's about. But when you're a person of color, these threats come along all the time. So once again, we have somebody else's luggage that we have to carry along with carrying our own, and we're all going to pretend not to see the extra luggage. Mm -hmm.
0: So I want to, last thing, what does your shirt say? Oh, it says indigenous resilience. I think that's a good place to stop. Great. Thank you so much for spending time with me today. You're welcome, Kim. Thank you for listening to this episode of Enough, y'all. If you want to learn more, please visit drkimcase.com to sign up for my newsletter, find free resources, and check out my 12-week course on white anti-racism and action with over 30 podcast episodes like this one. Until we meet again, stay scrappy for truth and justice. Thank you.